Hi Rachel, what are you doing? I've just put together episode 47 of the Lessons from Lost podcast. Outstanding. And who are you talking to this week? A lovely lady called Lauren Wood. And what's Lauren's story? Well, after losing almost every aspect of her life when she developed ME and Lyme's disease, it's about how she began to see them as a gift. Poor Lauren, that sounds really quite serious. Does the porcupine feature in this episode? No, but Lauren does now take other women out into the mountains and the wilderness to experience adventure, so maybe she'll come across one then. Let's find out, shall we? Hello and welcome to Lessons from Loss, the podcast in which we share our experiences of loss and more importantly, what we learn from them that now positively guides our lives today. I'm your host, Rachel Smith, and each episode I chat with a different guest. I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the courage and vulnerability of all my guests in sharing their very personal experiences, and also the impact that hearing these stories may have on you, the listener. Please take care as you listen. So today I'm chatting with Lauren Wood, who was living her best life as a field tutor working outdoors where she is most at home, when in 2015 she suffered some serious health challenges with ME and then contracted Lyme's disease. She has learned how to navigate through the complex recovery process using nature and the rhythmic energy of our natural cycles, and now shares what she has learned with other women, encouraging and supporting them to get outside, exploring, and all that that teaches us. So welcome along, Lauren. Hi. So thank you for coming on today to share about your experiences and more about what you've learned from them. I think most of us are familiar or at least have got some idea of what ME is, but Lyme's disease perhaps not sought, perhaps not so sure of. So maybe that's a good place to start just with kind of finding out what what those two conditions are and more importantly, how they impacted you in your life. Mm. Yeah, I'm also going to throw in another term. Oh, okay. Please <laughs> I do. Because I think it's just important because I know um, there's quite a few people, especially with um, COVID, who are experiencing things like chronic fatigue and ME. Um, and it, it, that ties into the Lyme disease as well. Um, so basically, I had chronic fatigue syndrome, ME, and that's what I was diagnosed with through the NHS. And it was only through private testing um, that I it was then diagnosed with Lyme disease um but chronic fatigue syndrome is basically it's a syndrome it's just like a series of symptoms and it can have any cause and it tends to tends to be something uh, like a stressor on the body which then creates a chain reaction of all of these things so my right. my I had two kind of stresses one was prolonged um stress at work and um my health was starting to deteriorate long before I ended up um, sleeping in a nest of ticks. But um, yeah, the then the tick bites then really made things really ramp up a little bit. Wow. So um, yeah, so technically I just have ME, but my my trigger for that would have been um, stress and Lyme disease. Oh, okay. Yeah, lovely. Thank you for explaining that to us so the two are kind of quite interrelated was the was the fact that you were suffering from ME and the chronic fatigue did that then make you more susceptible to the Lyme's disease Mm, well I think before I got Lyme's disease I think I was just burnt out um yeah it was just like super stressed and and I think the difference between burnout and ME is burnout when you rest eventually you get better and with ME you don't <laughs> um or at least you, you can and I have but it it's not just it's more than burnout like there's a lot more to it yeah and presumably takes far more than rest to yeah. to recover from it yeah or to be on that road to recovery so how did so thank you for explaining that so what impact did that have on your life? What was going on for you? Um, ooh, that is a really tricky question because I was just sat here um, thinking about that time. And I'm one of the things that I've noticed around ME um, is that it gets worse with stress. 
And um, w around the time that I developed Emmy, around the time that I slept in a nest of ticks, um, there was also a lot of other things going on. So I had left my job. Um, my, me and my partner had split up. My auntie was really sick and she like not long after died and my granddad died and uh, lots of family stuff happened at the same time. So I've been trying to unpick and process like how much of it was my illness and how much it was unexpressed grief. But I was going through a lot of loss at the time. But um, I think the biggest thing for me with regards to my illness was um, just a complete loss of identity. Like my entire career has been had been spent in the outdoors, like teaching kids and adults, like how to, uh, my passion's always been around supporting people to build a deeper connection with nature so that they want to protect it. I've always been really aware of the environment and that's been my way of, it's always been my, my way of achieving my purpose. Yeah. And so it was kind of like twofold when I got sick, it was Number one, I can't do the thing that lights me up every day. Like I loved my job. It, I mean, who wouldn't? I get to play outside and get paid absolutely. <laughs> I'd like your job <laughs> exactly. So I loved the thing that I loved, and also on top of that, you know, there's still there was still environmental stuff happening, and still is. And my way of playing a part in that, the way that made me feel useful and like I was doing something for the planet, I couldn't do anymore. And I remember just lying there in bed one day and going, well, now you've done it. What you see now, <laughs> like, how can you help? You just can't. And uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. At what point were you able to, to start to turn things around? You know, was, was there a defining moment or was there, was it a gradual I mean, I know the recovery obviously is a, a gradual process and I would imagine to some degree sort of still ongoing in that you, I would imagine you have to sort of manage and be aware of of yourself and your stress levels and and how well you are feeling at any one time. Mm. But was there a moment at which you thought that, you know, I've got to find a different way or a way to, to sort myself out? Mm, yeah, I'd been um, reading some stories, other people's experiences with um, with Emmy, with Lyme disease. My friend um, at the time, who was a we we left our job at the same time, and she'd also contracted Lyme disease. So we had um, a sort of like joint journey together. And then she worked with someone and got better. And I was like, okay, this is possible. I can do that. Um, because of everything else that was going on for me at the time, that wasn't my first thought. And I I was getting sicker and sicker and sicker. Like I couldn't get out of bed. I remember having to go to the doctors um, and I, I couldn't walk down the street. At this point, I was having trouble with my family. So I was very much on my own at this point. And it was quite a scary place. Gosh, and, yes. I mean, any um, one of those things that you described, you know, that that big that big life changing or you know life life things to happen aren't they I mean bereavement losing a do or job and mm. and yeah and then when you've got sort of family um upset or sort of relationships you know, challenging relationships going on as well I can imagine that that must have been a really and to, to be dealing with that illness mm. with all of that going on and trying to process all of that Mm, yeah it was a lot and um yeah and I'm just trying to think because yeah it's it's very multi, multi what I've learned from Emmy is very multifaceted and in this on this particular occasion I yeah I hadn't been able to walk to the doctors it felt like I was swimming in potato soup like I could see I could hear things but I couldn't process what they were I could see things but it was like looking through potato soup it, yeah it, it was like living in a bowl of potato soup and I had no energy and I think that's the closest I, I remember feeling like at that time I could die right now and I don't think it would feel much different because I just couldn't 
it's like the world wasn't there anymore mm. um and yeah and I don't I can't quite remember I think I call it like an a universal guidance but basically um I think at that point my mum had had some difficulty understanding uh, my condition she didn't fully I want to say believe but she'd had a lot going on on her plate and yeah. then she just phoned me up and said she'd been talking to a doctor about her own health and b12 was something in her family that there, there was issues with and apparently with Lyme disease it causes your vitamins levels to crash and it turned out that in that moment I was suffering from a significant b12 low oh, okay um, and I was like oh okay so maybe if I do something about this maybe things will get better but the other thing was I think at that point I'd really uh, reached a low point emotionally as well and I am quite a <laughs> stubborn <laughs> stubborn human and I was like okay well it can't get much worse I feel like I'm on the verge of death anyway but I'm not going to die with money in my bank I refuse so um, I'm going to figure out how to spend all of my money and then I will die I didn't know how I was going to die and it, it didn't feel like suicide it's just like I'm going to die when I spent all my money mm. and that just felt like a universe give me just some time to spend all my money and then you can take me that's fine okay and then I ended up working with a functional medicine practitioner and it was through him where I started to he gave me things to action on every month and that I finally I got a little bit of hope that maybe I didn't have to live in potato soup for the rest of my life and maybe things could be better and that was the thing that made me go okay because I'm going to spend all my money anyway I'm just going to give this a go and that's the thing that really started to turn me around oh wow and was this the same sort of path that your friend had taken um yeah a little bit she looked into sort of like nutritional testing and um that kind of work and uh, yeah I think she'd also seen a functional medicine practitioner um so I yeah it it I'd read a good few things about it so I just started there yeah it wasn't it wasn't the clincher it wasn't the thing that re yeah there was lots of other stuff but it was definitely the first step on the way to coming out of that place yes and as you say I suppose giving you hope that there there could be recovery from it mm -mm. yeah so what sorts of things did you did he sort of give you to to action for those first few months well I remember having a discussion he was like Lauren I need you to trust me and I was like okay and he's like I'm gonna ask you to do a few things that might sound a little bit unconventional but I just need you to go with it and just trust me on this and I was like okay like what he's like I'm gonna need you to put coffee up your bum oh <laughs> a coffee enema <laughs> and at the time when I was like what <laughs> no <laughs> and it took another few months but I finally did put coffee up my bum um yeah so there were a few things where I was just a bit hmm. I can't remember what your question was by the way I'm just, I've, I've got well just what were some of the uh you know what were you know maybe one or two of the action things that he requested you to do so obviously that was <laughs> that was one of them <laughs> yeah um, like basically it was around how to reduce stress in all areas of life so it was like um, changing all my shampoos and things to reduce like the toxins in my body uh, reducing the stress physiologically so I had a, a complete like vitamin and mineral blood count everything analysis to see what I was deficient on magnesium oh my gosh in my boots um, and that seems to be something that plays out with quite a few people with ME and things oh. like that um and yeah so to get those up to scratch and then the other thing that I did separately um not with him uh I had a friend come over and he took me to a festival and at the time and I was like <laughs> I'm not going to a hippie festival <laughs> and I went to the hippie festival I'm now a hippie um I, no one can see that I'm doing this but yeah. quotation mark <laughs> um and yeah ended up in this beautiful women's circle um where we did some talking and I was like I can't talk there's no way I can talk so if I try talking I'm going to cry um 
and then I ended up having a, a tuning fork on my um oh crown chakra and whatever this is um maybe it was my heart yeah and oh my goodness it was an insane experience I feel like I completely blacked out and I just started going ah! And in my mind's eye, I just saw this like black coming out of me. And I kept coming in and out of like this weird kind of place. And when I came out of it, like, there were women all around me, like holding my feet and holding my head and banging shamanic drums and all this kind of stuff. And uh, and then I went back in and started screaming again. And eventually I came out of it. And I the energy that I had afterwards was incredible. So then I learned I had a massive emotional burden as well that was also causing a significant amount of stress to my body um so it was like I just had different I think in total of like four different pathways I needed to work on to try and bring myself back into balance so that my body could just do what bodies do and just function basically wow that was quite an introduction then to uh in quotation marks hippiness <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and have you had any more shamanic based healing that's a good question so yes but not with someone uh I learned lots of energy practices um through a program so that I could use myself um and then one of the things that I noticed that I needed to do during my healing process was to take myself away um another friend of mine um who's a death doula um, who had also recovered from ME, she, um, they suggested this shepherd's hut and I went away in there for three days, four, well, four days, locked the world away and just sat and just processed whatever needed to be processed. And I had some similar experiences, like I was doing my energy work and at, at one point it felt like I was like pushing out something quite negative or like something quite heavy and end this is going to sound a bit strange, but I, I, in my mind's eye, I gave birth to this black thing um, and then had had to throw it in the fire. And I didn't, I, it was really funny because I didn't know what I was doing. I just, I was just trusting whatever was happening and going, okay, giving birth to a black thing and I'm going to put it in the fire. And um, yeah, it was really, really like healing. Um, and there's been lots of other things that I've done since then um there's quite a few things but I think that could be an entire thing in its own so I'll yeah it oh, sounds like you've been on on quite a, a journey of of healing and where where would you say you're at now with it all so a few years ago I was in my bed and I couldn't move I've been out of my bed now for a few years I've been able to do things but one of the things that has carried over has been this feeling of if I do too much, I will die and I will lose everything again. And so, and then that will cause stress in my body if I then try and do even just a little bit. And I think that is, I, I, I need to look more into this, but I do wonder if that is like a continuation that something that makes Emmy continue for longer than is necessarily useful. Um, I say useful. I do, yeah Emmy has its own thing but like um yeah this it's almost almost became self-perpetuating like I would get I would think oh no if I do too much I'm gonna hurt myself again which would cause stress which would hurt myself again because that would just flare up all my symptoms yeah. whereas I've started a regular meditation practice and I'm really now super good at planning especially around my hormonal cycle so that I'm not doing too much, but yet I'm still getting stuff done now. Like I'm, I'm starting to get stuff done. So like things, and that's only, that's a big shift that's actually really only happened in the past three months where I feel like I can be, pre I want to say productive, but I can get things done and not full-on freak out that I'm going to die afterwards like it's still there a little bit I'm still working on it I still can't do like as much as a normal per a normal person no one can see my quotes again but um but yeah I can definitely do more now than I've and consistently than I've done in a really long time mm. and you and that's down to 
getting in tune, I suppose, and working with your own hormonal cycle. My own hormone cycle, my own psyche. <laughs> because that's the thing, like if stress triggers symptoms, anything that triggers stress, I have to look at. So yeah. ME has been my own personal development journey. Like, mm. so anything that makes me like agitated or angry or frustrated, I have to look at the root cause of why that is happening and can I let it go? Um, and or what changes do I need to put in place to support me in this process? Or like, I've become a boundary ninja. <laughs> and yeah, I, I just... and. I, other things as well so like in the process um I'd noticed my relationships with people how I used to behave in the past I had to do a lot of looking at that and what one of the things that came from it is that I actually have ADHD and that in itself was contributing its own um kind of thing to my burnout cycle because I didn't even know I had ADHD so mm -hmm. I was like hyper focusing and going vum, 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 and hadn't learned any ways to calm my nervous system down um so there's been loads of things so yeah si understanding my hormonal cycles and then also all of the kind of inner work to find peace in chaos Yes. Yeah. It's funny. I was going to ask you or ask you or, you know, to to look at when you said the useful life of ME. Mm. And I was going to say, well, that's interesting that, you know, you, you view the ME as as having had some use. But clearly in your, you know, what you've just said, that it's become your own self-development tool that actually there has been a good use of it mm, yeah and I think because um Miami was part stress and part um Lyme disease when I did research about Lyme disease uh, I forgot to mention what that is it's a disease that comes from ticks <laughs> and you can get it in this country and blah, 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 blah. um but when I was looking into uh so my background's in biology and so an ecology and I was like oh I wonder what the ecology of a, a Lyme disease uh, yeah bacteria is and it turns out they have a, a significant like they have a shape which means they can hide in your cells forever and they have like a biofilm so they can remain in your body undetected and just live there and oh, they will okay. like pop up if you have low immune system kind of like the herpes virus but yeah. it's a bacteria and I was like I just I remember I can't remember what I read by Deepak Chopra but it was something about your body will heal naturally when you remove all of the obstacles out of the way and I was like okay so how can I find this place of almost becoming friends with my Lyme disease like how do I live with it and if it can stay there merrily living away so long as it is it's a very low level and I can still have my life and so it was like, well, how do I remove all the obstacles out of the way to make sure that I am okay so that me and my Lyme disease can live together peacefully? <laughs> oh, wow, that's a fascinating approach. Because did you even know what those obstacles were? No, not at the time. <laughs> yeah, so how do you go about working out what those, what those obstacles are? Um... <laughs> I think that was the whole um because every time you know you've got an obstacle when there's stress yeah yeah and so every time I was stressed it was just like what's causing it and the hardest one I think for me was learning to distinguish between physical stress and emotional stress because they could feel like the same thing so I was like um especially when I'd done I'd had so as part of my recovery um I had to give up all carbs and go on a very specific um, paleo keto diet uh, for two years. <laughs> and oh my gosh, like I used to love sugar. The first two, first two or three weeks giving up carbs, I was living with people I didn't know. And I suddenly turned into the tyrant from hell uh, because, oh my gosh, sugar withdrawal symptoms. Like people are like, oh, it's sugar, it's harmless. Honestly, drug. Mm. Like yeah. <laughs> my withdrawal symptoms were 
awful. <laughs> um, I still eat it now, but it's like. Awful. Yeah, I'm just going to say, have you been able to sort of introduce carbs back yeah, into yeah. your diet? Yeah, after the two years, I, I slowly started introducing things back in. And now I have a pretty normal diet. I still have some intolerances. And again, that's working out. Oh, OK, I've got a physical stressor relating to this. Yeah. So I need to do things slightly differently. But yeah, coming back to the the obstacles, it was the because I would get very physical sensations in my body. And I'd be like, oh, it's the Lyme disease or, oh, it must be the medicines and be frantically trying to figure out the exact combination of stuff I need to do to make myself better. And it was only when I dropped into, hang on a minute, what is it within me that is still agitated? And yeah, and I actually had to let go after two years of my um, my protocols um, because I, I just decided me and my line were going to live happily. There was no more I needed to do in terms of herbal medicine, supplements or anything like that. There's a few supplements I still take because of things that I just need to. But then it gave me the space then to work on my emotional obstacles. Mm. Um, and uh, it was so surprising to find out how much of my physical symptoms were down to emotional um deep down emotional like stuck stuckness that just needed to come out and be expressed and I guess that's you know the majority of us that we turn initially always to the physical Mm. stresses Mm -hmm. don't we Mm. yeah really interesting that you've then since learned that actually it might be some emotional things that you have to that you have to work through Mm. yeah and it's been learning that balance as well between especially with me like another physical response I would get to stresses well the physical response I get to stresses is my me symptoms flare up like I get brain fog um I've become very noise sensitive um fatigue like you wouldn't imagine um like I I literally can't stay awake sometimes it's like it's almost like narcolepsy (laughs) but I have noticed that sometimes I'm nervous about something and I need to push through it and push past it and I have I remember once taking myself crying to my friend's house to go and socialize with a board game And I don't know why, but I was just terrified about doing it because what if I didn't make it or what if I got really poorly and I like get all the what if and I was just sobbing the whole way. And when I got there, I had a great time. But if I'd stayed in it, my ME symptoms would have perpetuated because they'd be like, oh, I never got to go and be with my friends. And sometimes, um, yeah, working out when I need to push through and when I just need to stop has been a huge kind of learning as well and that's still ongoing (laughs) and how do you differentiate is that just through gut feeling or is it sort of pushing a little bit and seeing what comes up what resistance comes up yeah um a few ways recently I mean now it's down to experience so in the past it was trying and pushing through a little bit and seeing what happens and I'm still doing that now but on a bigger level um and then also it's about I feel like there's a a part of my psyche that stopped trusting me um Mm. that wouldn't trust that I wouldn't just keep going and burn myself out again and it it's almost like it refused to let me do stuff so but now I've I've got a um I've got a calendar and it's beautiful it's got some lovely pictures of wildlife on it and I've got a color-coded system where I give myself this is working with my ADHD brain now because otherwise I don't do stuff um give myself little dots for I've got five things I need to do every day for my well-being and they are my priorities over everything else so I've got meditate I've got um look after my finances I've got my supplements taking two to two to three liters of water a day and going for a little walk like as long as I'm doing those things I am proving to myself that I'm committed to my well-being 
And since I've been doing that, it's almost like that part of my nervous system that's worried about burning out again is starting to trust me a little bit more and it's allowing me to do more things. So yeah, that's been pretty big. Yeah, that's that's quite a major breakthrough. And, and you know, those five things are relatively on the face of it speaking simple things, aren't they? It's just having that, discipline to to do them mm, yeah yeah oh well it sounds like you've been doing a fantastic job and with you know and in I suppose it is a job almost isn't it on terms of working on your on your recovery and then that's also enabled you to get back to work and setting up your coaching and um helping women get out and explore the great outdoors isn't it yeah and I think that's always been my um my motivation I think that's a really really huge thing when you've got like something because the doctor said basically I, I hope it's changed now but I got told that I would never get well again and when you're told that by a doctor that you, you become what you believe and it's not I don't think that's the most helpful thing a doctor can say to someone no 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 saying something like will be a a, maybe a a challenging road to recovery but you can recover (laughs) would be yeah (laughs) would be more useful but yeah hopefully as you say the narrative may have changed now yeah yeah and also I think um there are ways of I've had some quite really not very nice experiences with doctors with me and like things like it's all in my head you're just making it up just get over it and all this kind of stuff which I think now like with post-covid fatigue Mm. and syndrome it's becoming more of a well-known thing I'm hoping that's stopped but I know there are ways of reporting that kind of thing because that is not very helpful no no (laughs) do you think that had you not gone through this whole experience of ME and Lyme's disease, do you think you would have been in the position or had the opportunity to set up your own business that you're doing now? Well, when I left the outdoors, um, this was, I think I was slightly ahead of the game because I was like, why aren't there any women in the outdoors on their own? Why is everyone taking their like boyfriend with them? Why can't they just go out on their own? So I, ages ago I think it was in 2017 was like I'm going to leave I'm going to set up my own business and I'm going to teach women how to build the skills and confidence so they can go out in the outdoors on their own then I died <laughs> then I went through my own it was a death um and so I wasn't able to do it but the like I said with, with the when you've got a chronic illness you need a big enough why sometimes to be able to give you the motivation to find a way to at least have a better quality of life if not get better yeah um I suppose especially important given that you had felt at times that you'd sort of lost your the ability to act out your purpose mm, in life in terms of working outdoors yeah and I and you know uh, as I said before I'm stubborn um so (laughs) stubbornness is a fabulous quality to have at times (laughs) But where I was living, I could see a mountain moil alia from my bedroom. And every morning I would look at it and I would say, I'm coming back to you. Like, I don't know how I'm getting back to you, but I'm coming back to you. Um, and that was the thing that drove me. It's like, I don't care if I'm not teaching anymore. I need to get back to the mountains because I need that for me. I still don't fully understand why, <laughs> but I need it for me. Um and it was along that that I then so when I as part of my healing when I went to this quote-unquote hippie festival which is now something I absolutely love and I run workshops there now because it's like yes oh amazing Um, what festival is it uh conscious camp (laughs) it's a little festival in Wales it's lovely yeah yeah and then I was like okay well I can do this myself but when I was at this uh festival this circle was a women's circle and it just hit me like you know um because I'd been looking at women not being in the outdoors which is now becoming more of a thing which is amazing um but also 
some something in me is like something I know we're talking about equality and I know we're talking about like you know the gender pay gap and it's trying to decrease and all this kind of stuff um something still doesn't feel right something's missing and I ended up after that women's circle finding a training to be a women's coach and I was like I think I need to do that so I just signed up and did it and it was during that that I realized there really is something missing and this is what I'm really passionate about now and I I don't think I would have I my recovery would not have been as fast without learning the things that I learned whilst training to be a coach it just wouldn't have like my when I did the we did a five-day coaching intensive on day one I turned up and I was just like I don't know I'm gonna do this day two I nearly quit because it felt like I was running a marathon by being sat on a chair um and I I spoke to the organizers like I really don't think I can do this I'm not very well I just can't And then we did some embodiment practices. We did some dynamic meditations. I screamed into a pillow for three hours. I thought I'd broken my foot from stamping on the floor. And on the last day, because I'd managed to stay, like I'd figured out some ways to help me to stay. And on the last day, I skipped into the uh, training room going, la, 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 all the energy in the world. Um, Amazing. And it was just a combination of everything that I learned in there. And I realized that there is women are four times more likely to develop a chronic illness than men. And when I learn about managing my own energy around my hormonal cycles, but most importantly, having no shame around that and owning it and not letting anyone tell me that I need to do otherwise there was a marked improvement in my ability to get stuff done. And it's huge. And I still think in terms of when we're talking about equality, I still feel like we're trying to get women in the workplace to be like men. It is changing a little bit now. You can have equality when you act like a man and you don't listen to your body and you push through. And that's what I had been doing in the outdoors. The outdoors had basically been has been a, a man paradigm up until very recently it is changing but I'd been trying to be a man and my body had burnt out and then I was in a poor state for when I got bit by a tick and I'm really really, really passionate about like allowing if we want gender equality we need to allow women to work on the terms of their body and to not force people to push through yeah so yeah yeah that's huge it's just a different it's a different nuance to equality, isn't it? That actually equality mm-hmm. isn't about all being the same. It's about being, mm. I guess, given equal opportunities in but taking into account the differences between us, whether that's you know gender related or um, you know health related whatever Mm, mm -hmm. whatever that might be but it's about I suppose more those opportunities being equal rather than actually that we we're just all put into the same mold and treated as if we are all the same even though we are clearly not Mm. and as you like yeah I get there's also like years of work well hang on years hang on let me think centuries centuries conditioning to let go of them um yeah and it is happening which is really really great Um, yeah still a lot of work to do but at least it's starting and as well you know it's not just it it's work that women have to do yeah as well it's not you know it's not just that we're going the the men have got to do the work you know we've all we've all got to Mm -hmm. we've got to get back in touch with with what we need as women before I guess we can then even say well actually that's now we're being treated equally because we didn't necessarily know what that really meant to us Mm, yeah yeah that's really a a fascinating take on seeing how or you know just seeing how things are shifting I mean certainly I'm 
on uh, social media, I'm in various women's adventure type groups. So I think there's one called Adventure Queens and there's Wild Women that I'm, you know, which is all about sort of women coming together and, and celebrating and supporting, you know, us having these adventures outdoors and you know they they range from people who were going off doing you know like incredible solo expeditions around the world to to people you know just going out for walk you know Mm. a a two or three mile walk on their own having just kind of you know looked at an os map and and seen okay i'm going to be brave enough to to explore this footpath that perhaps they've not had the confidence to to do and that's that's a you know it's a lovely a lovely movement to be part of and it's so tied together because I think in part of like the accepting of our bodies and not having shame about when we're on a bleed we can't do as much and nor should we and like to lose the shame in that but also to bring in other elements about what else what can we do what else is possible for us in a world that has been shaped for gender roles it's like okay well what if we didn't stick to them what what's possible then like just opening it out because I do know um yeah a lot of women I've worked with have just been like before coming along with you I thought navigation skills were for blokes you have your map you've got your army bag and you go out into the mountains and you get up to the top of the hill as fast as you can and and it's like no it's just like and uh, like a some of the women are using those navigation skills to then go and find a really peaceful spot, like somewhere yeah. really secluded away from everyone, just to like go and sit and just have some time to untangle their minds and just be. And like, there's different ways of using the same tools that have been seen as traditionally like masculine or um, yeah. And just like, yeah, seeing what else is possible and what else we can actually do. And yeah, it's great. It's really exciting. Yeah, and actually we can do quite a lot. Oh, my gosh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, reading about some of the things that... uh, Who did I read about recently? Uh, A woman crossing the Atlantic in a boat on her own. What did she do? Oh, I can't remember the details now, but I just remember reading it going, wow, that's absolutely incredible. And the amount of um, female role models now for, like, young people is just... Oh, phenomenal, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, I was following um, a young woman called Jasmine. I can't think what her second name was, but she literally swam. She swam from Land's End to John O'Groats, like all around the coast of Britain. Like did that last, like started last summer and finished, I think, about November time. But just incredible. I mean, obviously she had all the sport throughs and stuff, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, just just amazing wow oh my goodness that's a big swim yeah that's a huge swim (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's really great isn't it to be able to you know to have these uh female role models to to maybe aspire to do these great things but even just to to go i'll tell you what i I tell me i'm quite up to swimming from land's end to john o'groats but maybe i'll you know go and see if I can you know join some other women swimming or or maybe I, I will grab out a, a map and just see where I could could go and explore so do you do one do you do one day courses do you do multi-day courses what sorts of things do you offer um well at the moment it's one day courses because again with the I feel like the in my head I've just got the encanto what else can I do it's like uh I'm just seeing what I can do at the moment yeah Um, yeah so it's it's one day one day courses lots of different things that we're doing so navigation at different levels and then there's like mountain days but not getting to the top of the mountain it's wandering and seeing where your body wants to go and it's kind of like an inquiry rather than a um an expedition yes Um, yeah so yeah like that kind of thing but eventually I want to tie it in with my coaching so I'm going to go and see someone I'm seeing someone about this uh looking at um yeah how can I bring coaching into navigation skills because navigation in itself it like uh being because I do a lot of embodiment work I really love how um outdoor activities when used in the right way can also be an embodiment tool for like our own sort of like 
mental emotional development so for instance like when we're walking on a bearing it's an embodied practice of stepping out into an into a place that you have no idea you've never been to before you don't know how it's going to go and you've just got to trust in that compass to take you to where you need to go and like to actually get that physical experience of it when you're out in the wild when you then have that situation in real life when you've decided to do things differently away from what you would normally do and that those same feelings of oh my god I don't even know if this is the right way what am I doing Ah." and then but you've done it before physically with a compass it's almost like it's starting to program your nervous system into okay no we can do this and we can change our lives and so I'm just like oh how can we (laughs) oh wow that sounds incredible I will um watch with interest to see how your plans unfold with all of this people are interested or particularly women are interested in working with you or finding more about these courses what's the best way that they could get in contact with you or find out about you um so i've got a website which is onewildlife.co.uk or i'm on facebook and instagram at and i am oh gosh i changed it recently to be more uh thingy one wild life coach wales on both of them fabulous i'll put those details in the episode notes so uh, people can find them easily and get in contact with you thank you Mm, brilliant so what would you say has been the the biggest lesson that you've learned from this whole experience well this is a podcast about loss and this is going to sound really, really cheesy, but when I, in losing every, I, I, I genuinely, like, I lost my health, my identity, my time, my freedom, my income, my home. I lost friends. I lost relationships. I lost family. I feel like I lost everything. But it was only in losing everything that I actually figured out who I was. Yeah. So in that loss I, loss, I kind of found myself. Yeah, I and suppose I, sort of stripped bear almost of of everything Mm. yeah which is really really powerful isn't it and hopefully gives you know gives hope for somebody who feels that they are in the middle of Mm. all of that of losing so much for whatever reason whether it's health or maybe you know losing a relationship which you know within that you you lose so much so many other things as well that mm. actually it strips you down to that absolute very essence of of who you are mm. until you peel off all those layers of everybody else mm. that's attached to you you can't get a proper understanding maybe of who you are yeah so that's really quite profound isn't it mm. And good, I suppose, then to be able to then see the positivity or maybe the gift that being ill brought you. Yeah, yeah. And it's definitely a something that can only be appreciated from this side of it. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. I'm still on the same sort of traje- trajectory of life in a way because I still love the same things. Like I still want to do the same things, but it's completely changed the way I'm doing it. and all like like in all other aspects of my life it's all completely transformed for something much better so yeah and sounds like it's all been done in a much more sustainable way Mm. because you're so much more in tune with your own with your own cycles and and Mm -hmm. what you need at any one point yeah and then going on to be able to share that with with other people as well yeah them yeah to live that way. and that's um just coming back to like the hope so one of the things I'm hoping to do which I might have to talk to you about soon <laughs> is about setting up a podcast just to share a little bit more about the little steps that I've done along the way um because I, I wanted to write a book my mountain and me because part of the reason part of my why for getting better was to prove that it was possible and prove that doctor wrong um and then tell other people how to do it because then you know then there'll be more people able to fulfill on their purpose in the world yeah. rather than they're going why am I still here kind of 
Um, but it turns out I prefer speaking than writing. So I think I'm going to do a podcast. And it's also easier for people with chronic health conditions to listen rather than read. Yes. Or at least it was for me. I don't know if it's the same for everyone, but yeah. Oh, fantastic. Because I think that would be such a useful podcast mm. to do. Oh, well, thank you so much, Lauren, for coming on today and sharing your experiences. People will gain from hearing about your journey to recovery and, and what you're doing now to, to lead this both healthy, sustainable way of living and empowering other women to do the same as well. Um, you know, hopefully that, that will give people hope and some pointers of perhaps where to start. So I wish you all the very best with your continuing recovery and, and management and life with your lives and look forward to, to hearing your podcast one day too. So thank mm. you very much. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been really lovely. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Lauren. That was so interesting and such an inspiration in the way that you managed to see your ME and Lyme's disease as a self-development tool and in fact a gift to how you now view and act out your life. I'm sure Lots of people will find this really inspirational. And if you are interested or affected by things in this episode, then you might also want to listen to episode 14 with Louise Lyons, which is also about the losses and, and living with ME. Thank you so much to everyone who supports me in the production of this podcast, to Jamie Farrell for the beautiful music, and of course to you for listening. Please share, like, comment, subscribe. It all helps other people get to hear about it. I'll be back soon with another lesson from Lars.